Welcome to the Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer Orlando. Matt Buff, your host in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio. Great to be with you guys for this very special debate tonight on mandates. All right, that's what we're going to be talking about. Pro-mandates against mandates. And we're going to be talking about that for the entire show. Now's the time. If you want to see the interview, to go to facebook.com slash the Buff Show Orlando or Twitter and Twitch. And also enjoy a 94.9 The Answer Orlando, AM 950, and the website, thebuffshow.com. Let's introduce our guests for this special debate. We're going to go first to Kent Hecken Lively. Kent, welcome to the Buff Show. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right, Kent wrote the book, The Case Against Vaccine Mandates. And then Alan Dershowitz is on the show as well. Alan, welcome to the Buff Show. Great to have you. Thank you. And his book is The Case for Vaccine Mandates. So we're going to go full format here. And we're going to kick off this show with Kent talking about his opening statement. Kent, 30 seconds to you, my friend. Okay, so thanks a lot, Matt. So I've written thousands of pages about vaccines and hundreds of articles. Let me boil my position down to six simple words. Get rid of the vaccine court. Get rid of the vaccine court. Get rid of the vaccine court. The vaccine court has been responsible for 35 years of lies to the American people. To prove that, all I need to do is say the names Simpsonwood, Dr. William Thompson, and Dr. Andrew Zimmerman, and the fact that most people will have no idea what I'm talking about only proves my point. We need not only freedom, but I think the only rational choice is a worldwide halt of all vaccines until their safety can be established. We all need the truth, and the vaccine court has not given it to us. All right, Alan Dershowitz, over to you for a response or your 30 seconds. In my book, The Case for Vaccine Mandates, I set out a constitutional framework for analyzing the mandate of vaccination as an absolute last resort. What I say is if vaccines are absolutely necessary to prevent the spread of a lethal disease, if they provide for appropriate exceptions medically and perhaps religiously, although that's somewhat subject to debate, then the Supreme Court will and should uphold mandates as as a last resort. I don't like mandates as a civil libertarian. I don't like the government telling us what to do as a civil libertarian, but the Constitution is not a suicide pact. It does provide for state action to prevent extraordinary spreadable illnesses if the science justifies it. So my book is a case for vaccine mandates as a last resort under the Constitution if the science justifies it with appropriate constitutional exceptions. Okay, very good. Kent, first question to you. Is it even a vaccine when we talk about the science? Let's let's start right where Alan left off right there. When you have something that has a 98% recovery rate to most people, uh, to, to, to for the population, most people are asymptomatic is what I meant to say. And the vaccine 
for like tuberculosis or chickenpox is an eliminator of said disease. But this vaccine for this respiratory virus seems more of a therapeutic. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And let's let's talk about an extraordinary situation. We have a medication that was developed at warp speed. We have no idea of the long-term effects of this. Another extraordinary situation is the unprecedented power of the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies conservatively make $50 billion a year on vaccines. They support big, they advertise in the media to the tune of $6 billion and they contribute over $300 million a year to Congress. And that is twice what the oil and gas lobby does. What we also have is an unprecedented situation where an entire class of medical products, vaccines, have been taken out of the regular civil court system and put into this vaccine court, which has no precedent, no discovery without the approval of the judge so that these big pharma companies can hide their data. And so I see that as a completely unprecedented situation. It's gone on for 35 years. I have, it's not surprising to me that people like Alan are thinking that there should be mandates and, and that People like Alan, who are of good character and good nature and and are wonderful people, Uh, 59% of Democrats in a recent Rasmussen poll agreed with the idea of keeping people like me in their home uh, enforced by the National Guard because we refuse to be vaccinated with these deadly vaccines. I claim that vaccines, not just this vaccine, but every single vaccine could not survive being in our regular civil justice system because the truth about them would be stripped away just as our legal system has stripped away the truth about the opioid crisis. So why is it that the same people that that brought us the opioid crisis, we're trusting on these vaccines? I don't. It has to stop. Well, I have no brief for Big Pharma. I have no brief for pharmaceutical companies. I have no brief for uh, the court. I have no brief for any of those things. Um, I simply set out the following situation. Let's assume that medicine developed an absolutely perfect 100% cure for cancer and heart conditions without any negative impact at all. I wouldn't mandate anybody having to take that. You can make your own decision about whether you want to have a heart attack or whether you want to have cancer. That's your decision. Um, But on the other hand, if there were a medicine, I don't care if it's called a vaccine or a therapeutic or anything else, which could prevent the spread, the spread to other people of a highly contagious and sometimes lethal disease, then I would uh, require that as a last resort if people didn't take it voluntarily. Now, I leave it to the scientists to determine whether or not the current vaccine or the smallpox vaccine or any of the other vaccines that Kent has talked about meet those tests. I'm not a scientist. I'm a lawyer. I'm a law professor. I'm a constitutional uh, expert. And so for me, the issue is the scientific one. 
does this therapeutic, this vaccine, this medicine reduce the spread of this sometimes lethal disease to other people? And if it does, then we have conflicting rights. We have Kent's right not to be stuck in his home, and we have my right not to be exposed to him. I want to know when I go to a restaurant that I'm not sitting next to somebody who at 83 years old could give me a disease with my prior conditions that could kill me or cause me serious illness. Uh, I've made the decision to take the vaccine. I know there are risks. I know people who have been hurt by the vaccine. I've made that decision myself. I would only make it a mandate if we knew scientifically that it did slow down considerably uh, the spread of a lethal disease. That's my conceptual framework. How it gets filled in, that's up to the scientists. But uh, my approach philosophically, morally, legally is to distinguish between medicine that helps only you and medicine that prevents the spread of a potentially lethal disease to other innocent people. Alan, let me ask you that about that specifically, because when we're talking about constitutional law, even if something is deadly and killing millions, we still have a debate between constitutionality and public health. I understand that. Both in, in both books, in both of your books, you cited Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Let's go to the beginning on that real quick. Alan, I'll go to you first. Sure. Where Washington sent a letter asking that the army be inoculated right. against smallpox. Right. And the response was, if somebody did chose not to, they received a $5 fine, basically about 150 equivalent today. You and Kent posed that same case in early 1900s differently. Why do you think that would hold precedent today when it comes to this particular mandate? I don't think it does hold precedent for several reasons. Um, number one, uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts was enacted by the state legislature of Massachusetts and then the city council of Cambridge. It was not done by the governor or the mayor. And that's why I supported the Supreme Court's recent decision striking down the mandate for close to 100 million workers in any companies that employ more than 100 people. If you're going to have a broad mandate like that, it has to be done legislatively, not through the executive. So for that reason, Jacobson is not is not binding precedent. Second, as you say, it was a $5, $150 fine, although there's language in the decision and subsequent decisions that would suggest that the Supreme Court might well uphold a mandate that is compulsory injection for those people who don't want it. Certainly the Washington letter is not precedent either. It was about the armed forces. We know that if you join the army, you have to mandatorily take haircuts. You have to mandatorily get injections against malaria. You have to uh, put your life at risk. So I don't think either of those are precedent. They are relevant to how the Supreme Court would decide those cases. And, you know, Jacobson has had a terrible history. It was cited by the United States Supreme Court in the worst decision in modern times, Buck versus Bell, in which Justice uh, Holmes, along with Justice Brandeis and Stone, allowed the sterilization of, of hypothetically uh, mentally ill people in order to prevent the spread of uh, mental illness among the population. So Jacobson is not, for me, a basis. Uh, for me, the basis is the police power of the state, 
the general power of the federal government in interstate commerce and the role of government in preventing the spread of illness to innocent people who don't want it spread to them. So Jacobson to me is relevant, but not in any way binding precedent. We're going to take a break right now on The Buff Show and come right back with Kent Heckenlively's response to that. And we're going to continue this conversation. Thank you guys for staying with us. We'll be right back on The Buff Show. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hour drafts every day of the week and all day Sunday. Dollar off drafts and house wines, $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events tonight. It's Taco Tuesday on Thursdays. Live music and specials all night on tacos, tequila, and margaritas. Friday's live music and happy hour, then brunch with $10 champagne over the weekend. Mention the Buff Show, get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary, liamfitzpatrick's.com. Hey, you may have heard radio show hosts talking trash on solar. Yes, even conservative talk show hosts. There was a silly comparison to trucks running 10,000 miles, carbon emissions, and panel production. It came off as like a liberal argument against a liberal problem. Shallow knowledge as opposed to experts in the field. Politics, global warming, and other environmental concerns aside, the number one reason to buy solar is simple math. Have you looked at your power bill? It has risen in the last five years. How much more will it go up in the next five years? It's a rigged game, and all solar energy empowers you to stop playing a rigged game. A solar electric system freezes your costs and shields you from upcoming rate increases. If you choose to finance a solar electric system, the payment on a system that zeroes out your bill is typically less than your current power bill. This is simple math. Call All Solar Energy in Longwood tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or online at www.allsolarenergy.com. More information on this later in the show. Welcome back to The Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer Orlando. Matt Buff, your host here, rolling with you in the easy chair, getting right back into our mandate debate. In the last segment, we were started uh, talking about Jacobson versus Massachusetts and potential precedents following rulings like that throughout history. We also talked about Buck versus Bell, sterilization of people that were mentally ill. We're going to kick this right over to Kent to get his response. Kent Heckenlively, author of the book, The Case Against Vaccine Mandates. Also, Alan Dershowitz is on with us, The Case for Vaccine Mandates, holding up the book right there. And Kent, we're going to start with you with your response to what Alan said in the previous segment. Thanks a lot. You know, I've got a lot of things to say. You know, Alan says that he, his book is not about the science. He, it's not about the vaccine court. It's not about the uh, power of big pharma. And in response, I, I just have to say that, you know, to some extent, to a great extent, that Alan's book seems untethered to the reality of the world that we are living in right now. What's happening right now is millions of people are losing their jobs. Millions of people are suffering from this terrible decision of government. Now, Alan says that, you know, he's a civil libertarian. He really doesn't want people to, the government to force people to do things. And, and I would say that the track record of government in 
you know, determining, making these big decisions like they did with sterilization uh, is just terrible. And so I am always on the side of persuasion rather than coercion. And, and I, I just like to take another um, point something out. Uh, so Alan had talked about Buck versus Bell, which I'm happy that he agrees that it was a terrible decision. Um, but in your book, Alan, on page 39, you say that Buck versus Bell was overruled. And now, I'm not going to tell a Harvard law professor that he miscited the law, but when I went to the footnote, it had no case for the proposition that Buck versus Bell had been overruled. And in fact, in 2001, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals cited the Holmes decision ruling that involuntary sterilization is not always unconstitutional. Um, so some state statutes have repealed the law, but the Supreme Court itself has not overruled it. Um, and that case was Bond versus Boots, uh, if you want to look it up. Um, but, and and that, so I'd like to say, and I, I think that this is really important, and I, I'm, I'm glad that Alan is intellectually honest enough to, to say that his case is mostly philosophical and it's a mostly hypothetical case. But I prefer to stay in the real world. Now, in the real world, what has happened is that Big Pharma has its own special court. It's called the National Child, the, the Act was the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And then in 2011, I believe, uh, it was expanded by the Supreme Court in a decision called Brusevitz versus Wyeth to cover all vaccines. So let's be clear about this. So for all of the people who say that vaccines are safe and effective, I say, great, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, but the next question I'll ask you is, okay, if that's true, why do you need this special court? Okay. I believe that any vaccine could not survive the regular court system. And, and let's just talk about in the real world, what happened prior to the creation of the vaccine court. What happened was that the big pharma co companies put out this DTaP vaccine and they had a choice to make. That choice was whether they should make it cellular or acellular, meaning with cellular debris in it. And the difference in cost was half a cent, okay? And they damaged thousands of kids. And in fact, the head of one of the pharmaceutical companies said their potential liability was 100 times the sales of that vaccine. And so I ask everybody here not to live in the hypothetical world, but to live in the real world where big corporations will try to take advantage. And I'm not saying they're starting out wanting to help people. I'm just saying when they hurt people and they find out, they don't care. And we've seen that time and time again, not just in the DCAP case, but in Vioxx. And we've also seen it in the opioid crisis, which is killing tens of thousands of people every year. Well, first of all, let me be very clear about uh, Buck versus Bell being overruled. The name of the case is Skinner versus Oklahoma, 1942, unanimous decision by Justice Douglas, participated in by Justice Stone, a concurring opinion. He was also in Buck versus Bell. The Supreme Court doesn't use the word overruled because they don't like to do that. 
But after Skinner versus uh, Oklahoma, uh, no constitutional scholar will tell you that Buck versus Bell can ever be cited as a precedent. It can't be. It's uh, in the wastebasket of of history. Um, and uh, you know, could there be a circumstance, an extraordinary circumstance, where somebody could be sterilized? I don't think so. I doubt that the Supreme Court today would hold up a sterilization at all. Certainly, this Supreme Court because um, it has such uh, a favorable view of religion. And remember, the only dissenter in Buck versus Bell was a religious Catholic who said that, uh, basically he didn't write an opinion, but he's told people that his religion wouldn't tolerate uh, sterilization, which is so much against the uh, views of the Catholic Church and other churches as well. So, so Buck versus Bell has been overruled, uh, essentially. As far as the real world is concerned, I write for the real world. I think the real world attitudes have to be constrained by philosophical and, and legal uh, uh, con constructs. Uh, but I want to apply my, my philosophical and legal principles to the real world, which is why basically I supported the Supreme Court's two decisions uh, last week, uh, striking down in the real world the workplace mandate because it wasn't uh, approved by uh, Congress, and upholding uh, the mandate for health workers. Well, I'm, as I said, 83 years old. Um, my daily exercise essentially is walking to the hospital to get tests, um, um, and uh, I want to make sure when I go to a hospital or to a doctor's office that everybody in that office is, is vaccinated, is wearing masks, uh, otherwise, I'll pick another doctor or another hospital. So um, I do think that in the real world, we have to make these kinds of, of distinctions. Also, in the real world, uh, the law has to adapt to changing uh, science. Uh, uh, when I first wrote my book, Omicron hadn't come out. Uh, Omicron presents a somewhat different issue. It's more contagious and less lethal. And that uh, raises interesting questions about uh, mandates for uh, very contagious, but not lethal. Also, uh, it may not be as subject to uh, preventing spread as others. All of these things have to be taken into account. So I don't want to be accused of being a theoretical academic who lives in an ivory tower. What I do is present a conceptual framework that real-world doctrine can fit into. And so what we're struggling with now is how Omicron fits into the conceptual constitutional framework and the answer is, we're not sure at this point in time. We have to wait and see. And I think that today, probably Congress would not pass a mandate for every employer of over 100 people because Omicron presents a somewhat different issue. But uh, the next variation, who knows, uh, may be less contagious and more lethal, more contagious and more lethal. We don't know. And we have to have flexibility in our legal system to be able to deal with uh, problems. Um, different countries deal with it in different ways. New Zealand has dealt with it one way, Israel another way. Uh, some of the Northern European countries uh, yet a different way, China a different way. One issue that remains open as a result of the Supreme Court decision is can the states have different approaches now? We have 50 different states plus the District of Columbia. What happens if California says every company, a legislature in California says every company with 100 people has to have mandatory uh, vaccination and Texas passes a statute saying it's illegal for any company to require vaccination? 
And then you get people crossing from state lines because Omicron and, and any virus doesn't respect state borders. So the other question is, is this a federal issue? Can it be done state by state? Brandeis once called the states laboratories of experimentation, but uh, laboratories can be very dangerous, as, as we know, and, uh, and, and we have to be able to address these questions. It's not simple. It's not easy. And we're facing great challenges. What we need is a flexible legal system that can balance civil liberties against the police power and the need for prevention of disease. And we need a constitutional framework for having the science uh, be analyzed in a way that creates and strikes that appropriate balance. That's what I tried very hard to do in my book, The Case for Vaccine Mandates. Well, the problem with that is the next step. When, Where does it end? We're talking about Omicron, where we had a lot of data, Kent, from <sighs> South Africa that it burned through about six weeks, and that was the end of that. And we we're flat-footed here at the federal government, but sometimes we don't need the federal government to protect us from a potential cold. It's the winter season, people get sick. We understand that. The biggest argument that I keep hearing is we it's the spread that's the problem. It's the spread that's the problem. One minute to you, Kent, to finish out this segment to respond to that and the question that maybe we're just ignoring the, the science just to get more control because what happens after the mandate? What's next? In the real world, Alan, we have zero legal flexibility because of what we've done with vaccines. We have this crazy vaccine court, which has no precedence, which means when a case gets settled, it's sealed. Okay, so we, the public, don't know. Uh, liability is capped, and you never hear about this. How can we have, have paid out $4 billion in vaccine like injuries, and you have never seen one of these people on TV? So this, this is not a fair situation. And that's why I'm just hammering this idea that we're not even at the beginning of getting the truth about vaccines. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break right here and come on the other side. This time we're going to start with Alan after the break. You guys stay with us on The Buff Show. Much more to come, including Nazi Germany talk. Both books talked about it. We're going to break that down. We'll be right back. Since 2012, Cellulartronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair and electronics repair. We fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. We also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up, back covers are only $120. We have two locations to serve you in Sanford and DeBerry. Visit Cellulartronics.com or call 407 407- 707-302-3396. That's cellulartronics.com or 407-302-3396. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning is the official pressure washing company of The Buff Show. While Matt's doing the dirty work on the show, Action Plus Pressure Washing has been doing the dirty work for the last 15 years in Central Florida. They use a soft wash system to clean pool enclosures, driveways, pool decks, houses, and commercial property. They even clean large and small parking lots and buildings. Wow! Action Plus offers other services such as lawn maintenance, one-time service to weekly service, mowing, weeding, edging, and trimming, and hauling away debris. You can get more than one service, and they offer bundle pricing. 
Check out their weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly services for lawn maintenance and ask about their free standard two-driveway with house wash services. Family-owned and operated, get your free estimate at actionplusprissurecleaning.com or call 386-506-1048. That's 386-506-1048. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning. They aim to please. Welcome back to the Bob Shelley in 954.9 FM. The Answer Orlando, Matt Buff, your host here in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio. This time we're going to kick it off to Alan Dershowitz out of this break. I want you to address something that Kent's been talking about, Alan, which is the vaccine court and how it doesn't play out in the live court. And you can respond to what he said uh, heading into our last segment, too. I don't like vaccine courts. I don't like courts that deny due process. I don't like secrecy. Um, it's essential when you have a warp speed need for uh, private companies to develop reactions to very, very quickly spreading and potentially lethal diseases that you give them some kind of immunity from making mistakes because mistakes are inevitable. But I think Kent and I probably aren't very far apart on uh, vaccine courts. I have to tell you, I haven't studied the vaccine court the way he does. He's the expert on that, and I will defer to I him. I sent you the book. But um, in, in, in um, you know, I generally would not be in favor of the kinds of things that Kent said are uh, a characteristic of the vaccine court. So I think there we can probably uh, reach some, some uh, uh, agreement. I'm in favor of openness, of due process, of giving everyone a chance to uh, bring cases to an appropriate court. Look, uh, real courts don't always do justice either. We live in a very, very imperfect system when it comes to um, when it comes to to justice. Uh, you, you know, you talked before about um, the problem we have with opiates. Uh, there's no opiate court, and yet we saw terrible, terrible problems with 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 opiates, and we've seen terrible problems with uh, other uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, Pharmacy companies have done enormous amount of good. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Jonas Salk um, when I was a young man. Um, and, you know, he saved so many lives. I grew up during the polio epidemic when we couldn't swim and we couldn't go to movies and do anything like that. And then along came Jonas Salk and Sabin and, uh, you know, turned the country around. The same thing happened with smallpox. So I'm a big fan of, of science. I'm a big fan of research. I'm a fan of pharmaceuticals when they can be used in the public interest, but I'm certainly not a big fan of everything big pharma uh, does. What we have to have is a nuanced approach. We can't have an either or. We either for pharma or against it. I'm for a lot of it. I'm against some of it. Let's talk about that. And I'll go to you first, Alan. Today, the story came out about um, shipping, truck, truck shipping from California to Arizona is about a 25% increase in cost because 50% of their workforce in the trucking industry chose to remain unvaccinated. They've all been let go based on those laws you talked about earlier on the state level. That hurts all Americans for sure. And then we also have an issue with kids in school and things like that. So a state legislator up in uh, Wisconsin was questioning a Democrat leader about unvaccinated people having to wear armbands into the gym and into municipal buildings. And she compared it to Nazi Germany. You both talked about this in your book because she pointed out, don't think about the gas chambers. Don't think about 
the death and destruction, well before that, Jews were forced to wear the gold star, the Star of David. They're seeing some of the similarities in that part with the trucking industry and the records you have to show in the passports. Do you think this is going too far? No, I don't. And I think any analogy to Nazi Germany is obscene, outrageous, and shouldn't be accepted in the marketplace of ideas. The goal of Nazi Germany was to murder every Jew in the world. The armband was a means of killing, not a means of saving. Um, uh, I'm not in favor of armbands, but I am in favor of identification. It's so interesting that uh, the right um, wants identification to vote, but they're very much opposed to identification indicating that you've been vaccinated. The left is the opposite. They don't want identification to vote, but they want identification for um, um, uh, vaccination. I'm in favor of identification for, for both. I think it should be easy to get. ID for voting, and I think it should be easy to get ID for uh, vaccination. I'm not in favor of armbands, but um, I want to know that I can go to a restaurant where everybody has been uh, vaccinated. There can be restaurants which advertise, as far as I'm concerned, um, no vaccinations necessary come in at your own risk. That's fine. But I just need to know where I can go and where I can't go. Right now, I'm not flying. I'm not flying because the airlines haven't yet required vaccination for everybody flying. They have required uh, masks, and that's been challenged. And the Supreme Court just yesterday uh, seemed to uphold the masking mandate for for airplanes. But uh, as a citizen, I'm entitled to make my own judgments uh, weighing risks versus benefits. And in order to make those judgments, I need information. So I'm in favor of um, uh, vaccine identification cards. I wouldn't call them vaccine passports, your papers, please. Remember, too, that since 9-11, we live in a society where I can't go to my lawyer's office without showing ID. I can't go to my doctor's office without showing ID. You have to show ID for everything. And I think it's okay to show it for voting. And I think it's perfectly okay to show vaccination vaccines, uh, certificates or or, or uh, ID cards uh, for entry into certain buildings. So, um, um, uh, and yes, and it imposes a cost. It imposes a cost, but there's costs the other way too. If people refuse to get vaccinated, then uh, we can see an increase in the spread of the disease. And that's why you have to balance. And the balance should be struck by the state legislatures and Congress, not by mayors and governors, and it should be judicially reviewed by the Supreme Court. That's our system of separation of powers and checks and balances, and it should operate in the context of uh, uh, vaccinations and diseases as well as other contexts. All right, Kent, over to you on this. It seems like vaccinated people are certainly worried about catching a virus. Um, they're... <laughs> You said that, Alan, and it just seems, why Why do I need a passport then if it works so well? But if it doesn't work, why would I? Go, go ahead. It's not yes or no. It works and it doesn't work all that well. But uh, it so so, so, so I, I want to address a, a couple things here. You know, Alan, you are a brilliant man, but I, I believe you're embracing fear over facts. Okay. So your age, uh, 83 years old, I, I understand you are at heightened risk. But let's talk about what is happening in the real world. In the real world, 
We have people like our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, just coming down with COVID, even though he's vaccinated. We are seeing so many breakthrough infections. So in the real world, Alan, having a vaccine doesn't mean you're protected. That is becoming more and more clear every day. Perfectly. Now, now, I, I understand that, but but if your if your goal is to have zero risk, I I can't promise that to you. But but let's talk about facts over fear. Okay. So recently, you know, you mentioned that okay, in a warp speed situation, maybe we need to grant immunity to companies. Okay, uh, you know, I can understand that philosophically. I don't agree with it, but I understand it philosophically. But then you should be absolutely outraged that Pfizer and our own FDA is petitioning the court not to release the safety information until 2076. Okay. You you know, I'm a I'm a relatively young man, but I'll be 113 at that time. Okay. The very fact that that's going on is is startling to me. I agree. Okay. And so so and you know, as lawyers, what we try to do with witnesses is we try to establish whether they have credibility and whether they have a propensity for honesty. Okay. When I look at the pharmaceutical companies, I don't see that. When they want to keep their information secret for the next 50 years, I'm terrified. I agree. Now, another thing that I, I, I really have a problem with what you're doing, Alan, is that over your career, you have dove into the science of you know, of eyewitness identification, of DNA and everything. And it seems like you're taking a total pass on the challenge I am laying at your feet, which is to look at how we have the vaccine court put together. You are taking a total pass on looking at anything like Simpson Wood, the claims of Dr. William Thompson, or the claims of Dr. Andrew Zimmerman. Now, I'm just going to spend a minute with Andrew Zimmerman because I think he may be the most important person of all. So Dr. Andrew Zimmerman was the government's own medical witness in the autism omnibus case of um, of 2007-2008. And in about 2007, he actually went to the attorneys for the government and said, I am prepared to testify that at least one third of these autism cases are caused by vaccines. That was in 2007 he was willing to say that. What happened was he was then dismissed as the government's expert witness. It's only because he came forward in 2019. You can read the story that Cheryl Atkinson did about it. You can read his his affidavit. And, And what happens is when Big Pharma spends $6 billion a year advertising. Well, you know, the media dances to the Big Pharma tune. So you can find the Cheryl Atkinson story, but you can't find much else. And so I really challenge you, Alan, to dive into the science the way you dove into the science of so many other things, because I think that, you know, as much as you're kind of on my side in in a lot of ways, um, I, I think that you will will come to my position. 
Well, I, I want before to be you answer that, before you answer that, we do. I want to be clear. Real, real quick, Alan, I'm sorry. Before you answer that, we are up against a break real quick, and I want to get your full response. I don't want to have to cut it short. So okay. hold that thought. We're going to get back to that. 20 seconds real quick, Kent, on the passports that I talked about in Wisconsin. This is what's going on. Give me 20 seconds on that real quick. Well, I think it's a terrible idea because the one thing that Alan is missing is the intention is to deny us access if we are not vaccinated. Okay, that that it is they are othering us the same way that Japanese Americans were other during World War II. And, and yeah, I, I don't think we're going to Nazi Germany, but I think we're going towards Japanese internment. And okay, agree. Alan, I got to put a lot on your it. plate. For the next segment, we'll be right back on The Buff Show. You guys stay with us. Veritas Tactical. Tactical. A family and law enforcement-owned company where you can get custom-built ARs with purpose-built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Six Hour, Smith & Wesson, and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your liberty-safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force-on-force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full-time gunsmith on site, Sarah Coding Services, laser engraving and more. Mention The Buff Show and get a $25 discount on courses. You'll find Veritas Tactical at 207 North Goldenrod Road, Suite 200 in Orlando. Contact Veritas Tactical, 407-309-3000. 407-309-3000. And at VeritasTactical.com. Veritas Tactical. Tactical. You heard about the simple math with a solar electric system earlier in the show. Not all homes qualify. An energy evaluation by a qualified professional to get the fully informed information is always recommended. If your home qualifies, solar is always a prudent financial move. All Solar Energy in Longwood has been educating homeowners, roofing companies, property management firms, and now radio hosts about solar for 22 years. We have experts to perform no cost, no obligation energy evaluations to see if your home qualifies and explain the simple math of solar. Call All Solar Energy tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or visit the website www.allsolarenergy.com. Let them know you heard about it from me, Matt Buff, on The Buff Show. Welcome back to the Buff Show, where the debate is heating up in our final segment here. We're going to kick it over to Alan. I just they, uh, Kent put a lot on his plate, so Alan Dershowitz, go right ahead. We're not close to a Japanese-American internment, 110,000 American citizens of Japanese ancestry being uh, forced to leave their homes on the West Coast and being put in camps. Um, I don't like to use the word concentration camps because it sounds like Nazi Germany, but they were detention uh, centers. They lost their jobs. They lost their livelihoods. Uh, families were not separated, uh, uh, but it was a, a, a terrible, terrible thing. And it was based purely on racial uh, discrimination. What we're simply saying uh, here now is if you're not vaccinated, live your life, uh, live your life, take walks, um, uh, stay at home, visit friends who want to have you in your home, but uh, let me know that you're not vaccinated so I can make the decision not to socialize with you. I will not have you in my home, Ken. I like you and I appreciate you, but I have a rule in my house. Nobody who doesn't uh, uh, have uh, double vaccination plus the booster 
is allowed into my house. Um, uh, that's my decision. And in order to make that decision, I need to know certain uh, facts. Um, and, and, and I think it's important for those facts to be known. I'm not delving into your uh, privacy, into your sex life, um, but I need to know whether I'm exposed. Uh, you're right. If I get COVID, I probably won't die. And I probably won't get COVID long. I probably will only have a, a very bad cold. My son uh, is just recovering from uh, COVID after taking enormous precautions. Uh, so it's not perfect. I agree with you. But um, if it helps, if it's a benefit, um, and that should be something. Now, if the risks outweigh the benefit, then I would be against it. Uh, again, um, uh, please read my book. The cover of my book may be a little misleading because it's called The Case for Vaccine Mandates. It's not really affirmatively pushing vaccine mandates. It, it's the case for allowing vaccine mandates as a last recourse if the science justifies it and if there are proper exceptions. So it's a nuanced uh, uh, a book and it outlines uh, all the arguments on on, on both sides and some of the arguments that Kent makes, I agree with completely. Uh, I am not picking sides. I am trying to analyze a very complex problem in the way I've analyzed complex problems before. And I am getting into the science as much as I can. When I got into the science of eyewitness identification, you know, I couldn't second guess Elizabeth Loftus. She's the expert, but I analyze what she's done and I try to analyze what's done here. But I have to tell you, when a Fox News contributor uh, uh, analogizes uh, Dr. Fauci to Dr. Mengele, uh, you know, that's just beyond acceptable uh, rhetoric. Dr. Fauci is doing a good job. He's trying to save lives. He's trying to help people. Dr. Mengele, may his name be forever uh, uh, put in, 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 in a, a terrible situation, uh, was killing people, was taking Jewish children and experimenting on them and then killing and murdering them. Don't make those analogies. And with all due respect, Kent, with all due respect, Matt, I think analogies even to what went on with 110,000 Japanese Americans uh, are, are, are wrong. So let's stick to these facts and let's analyze them as carefully, objectively, without picking sides. I am not a Republican or a Democrat when it comes to these issues. I am a civil libertarian who cares deeply about public health as well. What should the book have been called instead of the case for vaccine mandates? Well, the case- about, Let's talk about vaccine <laughs> mandates. As a last resort, right? As a last resort. Kent, over to you on Alan admitting maybe the book title is a little bit misleading because he's not pushing for vaccine mandates. He says it's as a last resort. Well, I, I, I like to push against a little something that Alan said. So Alan says we're not heading towards Japanese internment no. camps. And so let's talk about what's happening in the real world. People are losing their jobs. Families are being told not to socialize with each other. These are the actions of a domestic abuser. Okay, this is the isolation isolation strategy. The best, the most successful domestic abusers don't work their terrible magic by forbidding people. They do it by planting ideas in their partner's head that the other people are bad. I find it 
absolutely terrifying what is going on. Uh, I find it terrifying that 59% of Democrats in a recent Rasmussen poll want to confine people like me to their homes and have it enforced by the National Guard. Okay, what happened to the Japanese was preceded by an amazing media blitz using the worst racial language possible. When I look at the media today, when I hear people on MSNBC saying, maybe we should drone some of these vaccine skeptics, I am terrified because I see where that language is headed. So this is about more than just freedom because Alan and I may have our disagreements about freedom. Hopefully we don't have disagreements about getting to the truth of things. So what I have said here is that vaccines make $50 billion a year and probably more now with all the COVID mania uh, for big pharma. What they also do is they spend more than $6 billion a year advertising in our media. They spend over $300 million a year lobbying Congress, okay? So all of these things that Alan is looking at as our checks and balances, I believe have been corrupted. And so I, I take my hat off to Alan for coming to debate me and uh, because Alan wants debate and I am so appreciative of that and I want well, you to know that. Look, I, um, and, and so, but what I also have to say is this seems like the last place where this conversation is taking place. And I think when you see how all of the checks and balances have been stripped away, um, hopefully, Alan, and for the viewers out there, you will start asking the questions, why are vaccines treated differently than every other consumer product, not just for you know the new stuff, but for the old stuff. And so we've had to endure 35 years of lies created by this vaccine court. And that's why there's such a strong minority of people who are standing up against these vaccine mandates, because we know it's not just about this current situation, it's about all the lies that have been told Look, for decades. This raises an even broader issue. Do not listen to NBC. Do not listen to CNN. Do not listen to people on the left of the Democratic Party. They are destroying America. They are against free speech. They are against due process. They believe free speech for me, but not for thee. We're in real trouble in this country. And that's why I'm happy to have a debate with Kent, who I disagree with on a lot of issues, but we can at least have a reasonable discussion. I can't get on MSNBC or I can't get on CNN. Nobody wants to hear both sides of issues. Alan, that is so true. Both your book and my book should be topping the bestseller list because there is no debate more important. The fact that nobody wants to hear from us tells you everything you, should, you need to know. And, and, I, and I think, Alan, the fact is they don't want to hear from me. Well, they I think they have you they, on. They don't want a nuanced view on civil liberties. The New York Times won't review our books uh, and won't even um, indicate that they've been published because nobody wants debate anymore. Today, the left knows what's 
right. It knows what's correct. And there's no reason to have debate and discussion. The same thing is true of the extreme right. The tragedy in America is you have to pick sides today. And I don't want to pick sides. My newest book, my 50th book is coming out soon. It's called The Price of Principle and how difficult it is today to live a principled life, to not choose sides, to not say the Republicans are always right, the Democrats are always right, the liberals are always right, the conservatives are always right, to try to analyze every issue on its merits. That's what I've tried to do in the 50 books that I've uh, written. And that, that, that used to be an appropriate approach. But today, no. Today, you, you are categorized. Which side are you on? Are you for or are you against? And nuance, calibration uh, today is, uh, is not seen. So read your book. Read my book. Uh, That's right. The case against that. I've read both. Yourself. Yeah, I've read both, and that's why I think everybody should read both, because yeah. you both lay out good Supreme Court cases, you historical cases. You both lay out about the man mandates, good information for people to make a decision. The problem is when the federal government looks at somebody like me as an enemy, when I'm labeled a domestic terrorist because I don't want a shot, and when the president of the United States says this is a war against the unvaccinated, basically, that's a that's a problem. When the left is really good at making you segregated and taking sides, a lot of us want to just live a peaceful life. But when you get put in a box and we get told what to do, it's unbelievable. Um, let's do 30 seconds each as a close. Uh, Kent, go first. We'll finish with you, Alan. So I, I think that what everybody needs to do is start asking questions. You need to start asking questions about the vaccine court. You need to start researching things like Simpson would. You need to start researching things like Dr. William Thompson or Dr. Andrew Zimmerman. What has happened is that so many people are brainwashed on vaccines. They only say things like vaccines are safe and effective. And then if you ask them, can you give me some data on that? They get mad at you. The problem is big pharma has put the government on the hook. So people like me are not just going up against big corporations. We are going up against the federal government and it's both sides of the political aisle. It's Joe Biden and it's Donald Trump. Both of these people have been uh, brainwashed about vaccines in a way that we don't allow with any other consumer product. If there was any other consumer product that had its own court system, we would be screaming and yelling. We need to get rid of the vaccine court, get rid of the vaccine court, get rid of the vaccine court, and get rid of these 35 years of lies that people have been told and get to the truth. It's mass formation psychosis in action. Kent Hecken Lively, the book is The Case Against Vaccine Mandates. Alan Dershowitz, 30 seconds to you. I've spent the last 60 years of my life asking hard questions, um, uh, challenging. Uh, in March of 2020, when the COVID just began, I wrote a very controversial article in which I, I said the title of the article was Believe Science, But Be Skeptical of Scientists in which I said, the scientists are misleading you. They're telling you, number one, don't wear masks, that masks don't work. Uh, but yet they're telling health workers to wear masks. So I didn't believe that. And second, they were telling you that the, the COVID was spread by touch, 
not by aerosol. I didn't believe that. And so I asked questions and I challenged and I turned out to be right. It was aerosol and masks do help. And, and I'm going to continue to ask uh, questions. That's what I do. I was a law professor for 50 years, challenging students. Uh, my reputation was there's no such thing as a right answer in Dershowitz's class because every answer begets a new question. And I'm going to keep asking these kinds of questions. And I think Kent is asking a lot of the right questions. You, the American public, have the right to give your own answers. And so, again, I commend you to read Kent's book, uh, The Case Against Mandates, my book, The Case for Mandates. Come to your own conclusions. That's what democracy is all about. I completely agree. That's why I wanted to do this show with you guys. We have to start having conversations. It can't be one party and one thought rule. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, gentlemen. We're going to post the book and the links on thebuffshow.com. We, we encourage you, buy both books, read both books. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time on The Buff Show. Stay smart out there. Thank you. Thank you.